0: Holy shit, holy shit, I was just fucking assaulted by a fucking squad, nay, a platoon of fucking bumblebees. I'm in my backyard, minding my own business, moving my shed around because I feel the need to move it to a different part of the backyard. Aesthetically, it'll look better, maybe little feng shui might kick in. You never fucking know. But I'm out there doing my thing, and suddenly I turn around, and I feel something buzzing by my ear. Literally fluttering. I can feel it touching my fucking ear. I take a step back, turn, and there is a gigantic bee with a fat, stereotypical Mexican rolling handlebar mustache and a fucking sombrero on his hand, grinning as he's fingering a six-shooter on his fucking belt, ready to tag my ass. Now, I don't know about any of you out there, but I'm not in the mood to get stung by a fucking bee. So I immediately freak out, scream like my fucking two-year-old little girl, jumping, swinging my arms wildly, ducking and diving, trying to stay away from this damned bee trying to fucking kill me. All I want to do is move my fucking shed. I don't think that's very fair. <laughs> but you know what? That's my day so far. But it's not going to stop us. Welcome to Nine Cents. Another fucking fantastic episode. Uh, Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. It is June 26th. Another week. Another episode. And I'm fucking excited. It's going to be a great show because I did not get stung once. I went out there like three times giving them, I don't know, maybe a ten minute break between attacks (laughs) before they found out that I was poking around the shed again and I sprayed the entire fucking area down. Now I'm hoping, hoping, that these fuckers are just gonna explore the newly excavated shed, find absolutely no pollen in sight and move on. But if they don't, and if they're harboring a fucking hive underneath that shed, they're probably gonna die from the poison I put down. Now normally I wouldn't have a problem with bees, and and I actually don't. I have family that tens bees has hives in their backyards that they um, harvest on an annual basis. At least I think it's annual. It doesn't really matter anyway. uh, So I don't have a problem with bees doing their thing. As long as they don't fucking attack me. That's the caveat. And that pretty much goes for anything, be it an insect, an animal, fuck, a human being. As long as you just stay the fuck away from me, I'm good to go. I don't need to fucking get up all in your face. I don't owe you money. Don't walk up on me like I do. You know, that's really what it comes down to. And that's exactly what those fuckers did. It's like I owed them a hundred bucks from 20 years ago. I hadn't paid. So they came fucking looking for me to bust my kneecaps or something. Goddamn bees. Well, besides that, it's been a pretty good week. Um, let's see. I, Wanted to go hiking, and I couldn't because of sick kids. Uh, I hung out with a couple old, really good friends, which was nice. I found out some kind of shitty things, so that wasn't very nice. So that canceled out the nice. So I'm sitting at pretty panicked week from being attacked by bees as the highlight. Which is pretty disappointing, I'd say. But beggars can't be choosers. This is the life we live. We don't always get to choose what happens to us. So I'm going to fucking deal with it. Damn bees. It's weird because they're these tiny little things. And, and you know what? I actually used to live in this dive right out of high school. Uh, right next to the railroad track. Really shitty part of the neighborhood. Really shitty part of the fucking city or the county even. Uh, and, and the actual house had cockroaches. Of all the nasty, disgusting, filthy fucking things, cockroaches. And one thing I fucking learned about insects specifically cockroaches, and now I can tell you bees, is that it doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter how quickly you could squash them. Inherently, they know that you are intimidated and frightened by them. Because they either creep you out, or they can fucking sting you. And even though that's nothing really, I mean, you know, in the scheme of things, it's not that big of a fucking deal... It still will move a big-ass human being out of the fucking way and leave them acting as if they were three years old again. Just like I just did. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty fucking stressful. So your heart's pounding and everything. It's like you just got into a fight, but you didn't. You were literally running away from this tiny little insect. It's weird because if those things were attacking my children, I would have no problem. But since they weren't in the mix, and it was just me, I had a big problem. (laughs) Like, I, you know, if my kids were involved, I would have jumped in, swatted, made sure my kids got out of there, no problem. But if it's just me, I'm running around screaming, looking for a freaking twig that I can stick in my mouth so I can jump underwater like in a fucking Bugs Bunny cartoon and wait while the bees are circling overhead. (laughs) It's ridiculous. The fucking innate (laughs) panic. That, that grips you <laughs> when you see, when you're attacked by, by things, you know, just, just random elements. And the funny thing is, is I go hiking and camping and I have no problem with anything like that. Like, I, I've never been assaulted. We've run across uh, rattlesnakes on multiple occasions, and it did not shake me as much as these two bumblebees fucking causing my face. <laughs> like, I just don't get it. Now, I, I'm a pretty attractive guy, I would like to think, in my own way. A lot of little caveats there. But I didn't think I was that attractive to bumblebees. Now I know. So I've got to, whenever I go out in there and work, I've got to fucking ruffle up my hair or, I don't know, fuck myself up somehow so they're not so damned attracted to me. Or maybe it's that honey perfume I've been wearing. <laughs> wow. Alright, so you know what? I uh, this is going to be a great show. Today in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about an, an I don't know if you call it an essay or just i I don't know, a page of writing by Anton Zanderleve in his book Satan Speaks. In Infernal Informant, I've got two uh, decent little articles here for you. One of them is, what if Jews had followed the Palestinian path? And the other, tainted cocaine tied to severe skin reactions. And in the uh, Creature Feature segment, I'm going to be talking to Roar from Hardest Darkest Ends. Another in the fine series of Radio Free Satan interviews. And next week, yes, that's right, I've got another one. I'm going to keep going until I get everyone that is willing to be interviewed. Now, admittedly, some people are not comfortable with it, or just don't want to be interviewed. I can respect that. And when I'm finished, I will return to the regular segment as I've been running uh, in the plethora of episodes before I joined Radio Free Satan. So, sit back, relax. I hope to entertain you for another round of Nine Cents. Let's move on into The Devil's Advocate. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone... I raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming. A death to the weakling, wealth unto the strong. Can I get a Hail Satan? I said, can I get a Hail Satan? We are the devil's advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, as I stated before, we are going to be talking about an article called Entertain Me, which is found in Satan Speaks, a book written by Anton Sandra levay in, uh, actually it was 98, so it, it's a compilation of his writings. <clears throat> Published by Farrell House, introduction by Blanche Barton, forward by Marilyn Manson. Um, if that's a draw, I don't know. It, either way, it, it's chock full of a bunch of articles and essays about uh, or from Anton LaVey. So, if you are a Satanist or you remember that you're just Satan or you're interested in it, it is absolutely a must-have. Really, there is a handful of core books that will help enhance your understanding of Satanism in Anton LaVey as uh, the high priest when he was the high priest. This is one of them. This will give you insight to his mind. And Entertain Me, the article that I'm going to be discussing, is exactly that. I like to think of this article as... See, this is post-Satanic Panic. I would like to think. But it could have even been written before then. You know, you think of someone who starts an immensely powerful and controversial organization like the Church of Satan, who creates, for the very first time, Satanism as a structure. Never existed before him. He literally created it. You can imagine the types of people and counter-movements drawn to him. I mean, for literally thousands of years, Islamic Judeo-Christians have been railing against the evil and Satanists, or devil-worshippers, as they understood them at the time, and Satan himself, or Lucifer, the bad guy. They've been railing against that, drawing flocks, Income to their coffers and their pews. Now they finally have a face and on levee. So you can imagine the different types of people that are drawn to either worship or attack him. Now, whether it's justified or not, you could imagine that he would get tired of that. And for the first, let's say, 30 years, of the organization. You could imagine him being pretty willing to give out interviews, to educate through select media, and he did. He even allowed videos of private rituals, satanic masses. I mean, you know, he bent over backwards to inform the public about what Satanism was and what the Church of Satan was and what it meant to be a member and what its goals were. And the lies just continued. Uh, The falsehoods continued and still to this day continue. So you could imagine the drain That would be on an individual, especially the person that created it. I like to think that this article, and that was a long way to get to here, but I would imagine that this article is him, Anton Levay, explaining that drain. Now, he talked about psychic vampires before, at length. In this, he's talking about the public in general. Now, as in the past, when I've referenced an article... Be it online or in print, you know, I'm not going to go through and read verbatim everything that is written because I want you to, one, be educated about the article so it'll draw you to purchase this media, in this case, this book, or visit the website in past cases. Entertain Me is something that you should absolutely read and you should absolutely buy Satan Speaks. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the first paragraph of this article and then I'm just gonna talk about it. Uh, So this is entertain me. What is there to see if I go outside? Don't tell me. I know. I can see other people. I don't want to see other people. They look awful. The men look like slobs and the women look like men. The men have mush faces framed with long hair and the women have big noses, big jaws, big heads and stick-like bodies that depresses me it's no fun to people watch anymore because there's so little variety in types the article goes on to talk about not only types of people body types attractiveness uh, physical uh, uh, physical reaction or, f- or physical appearance but also what one gets and in this case what Anton LaVey gets from going outside. And specifically, it's fucking nothing. You know, and this is something that we all, as Satanists, eventually get to. I don't think it's a good thing, I don't think it's a bad thing, it's just a thing that happens. When people find out that you're a Satanist, they're immediately drawn to you. For good or bad, they're drawn to you. They either want to convert you to their way of thinking, or they want to learn or understand or hear about your way of thinking. On the rare occasion, there's people that just run and scream. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Get used to it. But no matter what, it's your energy that they're after. Always. They want a piece of you. They want to be able to go to their friends, to their family... And have that experience to pull out as a wild card. Oh, you went, to, uh, you went to that lake this weekend? Well, guess what? I met a Satanist. And this is what he had to say. I met someone who calls himself a Satanist. Or they just want to soak up the energy that is all yours. The power that is about your presence. They are all versions of psychic vampires. Some, understandably, on their own conscious level, and some not. They all suck you dry. And so, as Satanists, we get to a point, if we're not starting there already, that we don't want to fucking be a part of that public. We don't want to be a part of that scene of people literally taking bites out of your fire. Trying to take a jar and capture it and show it to their friends. That's not what we're about. We want to enjoy our own selves. We don't want to fucking present something to everyone else. Now, I say that and it's not absolute. I mean, there are entertainers that put themselves out there that thrive off of that. But I think that's a different medium. You know, they're not giving a piece of themselves as much as they're presenting. They're not being sapped of the energy as much as they're putting it out there. It's all about what you get and what you give. And if you're not getting, why the fuck should you give? That's what this article is about. And if you can identify with that, you should pick up this fucking book, Satan Speaks. It's absolutely worth it. And even if you can't identify with it, fuck, pick it up anyway. It's only a couple bucks. And it's absolutely worth it. And I think that's going to do it. For this week's Devil's Advocate, let's jump into these articles that you're going to find in the Infernal Informant.
1: 40 of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats smutting together massive mass hysteria. Oh, in
0: the All right, so today the first article tainted cocaine tied to severe skin reactions up to 70% of cocaine in US may be contaminated with drug meant for livestock experts warn. This is posted June 23rd, 2011. Uh, this is actually found in US News Health in the Health Daily News. Cocaine, contaminated with levamisole, a cheap and widely available drug used to deworm livestock, could result in a U.S. public health epidemic, experts warn. In a report released online in advance of publication in an upcoming print issue of the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology, doctors revealed that patients in Los Angeles and New York who smoked or snorted cocaine diluted or cut with the veterinary drug developed serious skin reaction. Six patients developed patches of purple necrotic skin on their ears, nose, and cheeks, as well as other parts of their body, the doctors reported. In some instances, the cocaine users suffered permanent scarring as a result of using the tainted drug. Two similar cases were also reported in San Francisco, along with others that reported additional side effects, including, I'm going to fuck this up, agranulocytosis, a potentially life-threatening immune system disorder. The problem, however, could reach epidemic proportions. The U.S. Department of Justice has reported that up to 70% of cocaine in the United States is contaminated with levamisole. Once prescribed for humans, the drug was discontinued after patients who took the drug developed conditions similar to the cocaine users. Quote, we believe these cases of skin reactions and illness linked to contaminated cocaine are just the tip of the iceberg in a looming public health problem proposed by Leva Meisel. Lead researcher Dr. Noah Kraft of the Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute at Harbor UCLA Medical Center said in an institute news release. Initially baffled by the severity of the skin damage, Kraft added that the report was published to increase awareness about these skin reactions, which could be misdiagnosed as vasculitis, a rare blood vessel autoimmune disorder, and to educate both the public and health professionals about the additional risks associated with cocaine use. More information, the U.S. National Library of Medicine provides more information on cocaine. Um, Don't put this out there. Don't publish an article like this don't inform the fucking public. If you're going to partake in an illegal substance in a drug you know is going to fuck you up. Well, fuck off. This is a choice you're making. Why should we inform anyone? See, and this is all up, you know I, I feel the exact same way about tobacco use and alcohol use. And, you know, it's a little raw here, but if you don't recognize the consequences, then you deserve the results. If you're not going to educate yourself about what you're doing, about the potential risks involved, and if you're not willing to take and accept those risks, and you still fucking take it anyway, well, fuck you. You don't deserve, you are not a human being You're a fucking lemming. You're a fucking addict. You don't deserve to be with the rest of us. There is a finite amount of resources on this fucking planet. It should be reserved for those of us who are willing to not only be responsible with our lives, not pose a burden to the rest of society, but also be a productive member of said society. Do it however you like. Do it in your own way. I don't give a fuck if you're going to be an auto mechanic or if you're going to be the President of the United States. But if you're going to fucking snort cocaine and you're going to suffer from this particular disorder, uh, leave a my soul, because your dealer cut it, you fucking deserve everything you get. And I don't think we should waste the fucking public resources to educate assholes who are going to be doing a fucking illegal substance anyway. This doesn't make any fucking sense. Everyone knows that cocaine in and of itself is fucking bad for you. You don't need to tell them anything else. Say, don't do it. It's bad. Here's the research that backs it. Why should you go any further with that? And if they're going to fucking snort shit or smoke shit that is cut (laughs) with a deworming fucking agent for livestock that has already been fucking taken out Out of use for human beings because of this result. And they're still going to fucking take it? They deserve it. They absolutely deserve to have these necrotic lesions cropping up all over their fucking face. They deserve their fucking nose to be eaten up. They deserve the consequences of the fucking actions they're taking. It's ridiculous. Now... I drink alcohol. I brew my own beer. I actually make my own wine from grapes that I grow in my own yard. I understand what alcoholism is. I understand because I have family that have been alcoholics. And my father died from it. I know the consequences of overuse. Of this drug that I am creating. I also know that it's actually quite good for you. If you're a fucking responsible. And an educated human being. So. I educate myself. I produce it. In quantities that I know that I'll be able to safely consume. I partake of it. When I feel like it. In moderation. That's the key note. And I don't fucking die like my dad did. This is just part of being a human being. You cannot just be spit out of your mother's womb and expect the world to give you things. It doesn't work like that. You have to fucking do shit for yourself. At some level, you have to decide that you're going to be a fucking educated, responsible human being. And if you don't, then you die. This is the fucking natural order of things. Now I say that knowing full well that it doesn't always end up that way because we live in a fucking world where you have to wear knee pads to ride your fucking bike and fucking helmets and if you go hiking, you have to have two fucking poles in each hand to balance yourself because apparently you don't know how to fucking walk on your own. You know, we live in this fucking bubble-wrapped society. That we're protecting the weak, allowing them to propagate and (laughs) dilute the purity of survivalists in our species. It sounds elitist, and it is. They don't fucking deserve to be around here. If we have to drain our resources to educate them to do things that should be fucking inherent knowledge, well then, fuck them. We should not have to hold up every member of the species. Nature does not want the wheat to survive. Look at all the species that has existed on this world. More have died than lived. More are extinct than exist. There's a reason for that. The natural chaos of nature is you exist, you adapt, or you die. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people can't live. That's their own doing. They either adapt or they do not. That's not me saying it. That's the fucking world proving it. We have to stop holding fucking hands all the time. You know, I mean, there's only so many times you can educate fucking people by saying don't do cocaine because it will fucking eat up your fucking nasal passages and you can die. You can have a heart attack. Your blood pressure will go so high that you will fucking uh, cardiac arrest. And the plethora of other things that can happen to you, now including uh, levomysil contamination. Why the fuck should we seriously continue... You hold these people's hands. I don't understand it, and it's very frustrating as a human being living in the same world with these assholes that do this, and then having to pay taxes and knowing that those taxes are going to continue keeping those fuckheads alive. All right, well, I've got to stop ranting here because I'm getting a little upset. But I think you get the point. Certainly, you understand the article, I'm sure. So, <laughs> if you're a Saint Nest out there, I know you're not using cocaine anyway. Um, But if you are a Satanist out there and you are using cocaine, well, then you're not a fucking Satanist and, you know, get the fuck off my planet because I don't need you. Period. I do not. And That goes whether you're a fucking big-time entertainer or not. I don't care. And you shouldn't either. All right, so let's go ahead and move into the other article. What if Jews had followed the Palestinian path? Post-war Jewish refugees left everything they had in Europe no right of return requested. Uh, again, this is the Wall Street Journal, posted June 20th, 2011, by Warren Kozak. It is doubtful that there has ever been a more miserable human refuse than Jewish survivors after World War II. Starving emaciated stateless. They were not welcomed back by countries where they had lived for generations as assimilated and educated citizens. Germany was no place for them to return to, and in Kiel's Poland, 40 Jews who survived the Holocaust were killed in a program one year after the war ended. The European Jews, circa 1945, quickly went from victim to international refugee disaster. Yet, within a very brief time, this epic calamity disappeared, so much so that few people today even remember the period. How did this happen in an era where Palestinian refugees have continued to be stateless for generations? In 1945, there were hundreds of thousands of Jewish survivors living in DP camps, displaced persons, across Europe. They were fed and clothed by Jewish and international relief organizations. Had the world's Jewish population played the situation as the Arabs and Palestinians have, everything would have looked very differently today. To begin with, the Jews would all still be living in these DP camps. Only now the camps would have become squalid ghettos throughout Europe. The refugees would continue to be fed and clothed by committees similar to UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian refugees in the Near East, paid for mostly by the United States since 1948. Blessed with one of the world's highest birth rates, they would now number in many millions, and 66 years later, new generations fed on a mixture of hate and lies against the Europeans would now seethe with anger. Sometime in the early 1960s, the Jewish leadership of these refugee camps, having been trained in Moscow to wreak havoc on the West as Yasser Arafat was, would have started to employ terrorism to shake down governments. Airplane hijackings in the 1970s would have been followed by passenger killings. There would have been attacks on high profile targets as well, say the German or Polish Olympic teams. By the 1990s, the real mayhem would have begun, raised on victimhood, and used as cannon fodder by corrupt leaders. A generation of younger Jews would be blowing up buses, restaurants, and themselves. The billions of dollars extorted from various governments would not have gone to the inhabitants of the camps. The money would be in the Swiss bank accounts of the refugees' famous and flamboyant leaders and their lackeys. So now it's the present, generations past the end of World War II, and the festering Jewish refugees problem throughout Europe has absolutely no end in sight. The worst part of this story would be the wasted lives of millions of human beings in the camps. Inventions not invented, illnesses not cured, high tech startups not started up, symphonies and books not written, a real cultural and spiritual desert. None of this happened, of course. Instead, the Jewish refugees returned to their ancestral homeland. They left everything they had in Europe and turned their backs on the continent, no right of return requested. They were welcomed by the 650,000 Jewish residents of Israel. An additional 700,000 Jewish refugees flooded into the new state from Arab lands after they were summarily kicked out. Again, losing everything after generations in one place, again welcomed in their new home. In Israel, they did it all the hard way. They built a new country from scratch with roads, housing, and schools, they created agricultural collectives to feed their people, they created a successful economy without domestic oil, and they built one of the world's most vibrant democracies in a region sadly devoid of free thought. Yes, the Israelis did all of this with the financial assistance of Jews around the world and others who helped get them on their feet so that they could take care of themselves. These outsiders did not ignore them, or demean them, or use them as pawns in their own political schemes as the Arab nations have done with the Palestinians. I imagine the argument would be made that while the Jews may have achieved all this, they did not have their land stolen from them. This is of course a canard, another convenient lie. They did lose property all over Europe and the Mideast. And there was never an independent Palestine run by Palestinian Arabs. Ever. Jews and Arabs lived in this area controlled first by the Turks and then by the British. The UN offered the two-state solution that we hear so much about in 1947. The problem then and now is that it was accepted by only one party, Israel. No doubt the situation of Arab residents of the Middle East back then may have been difficult, but it is incomprehensible that their lot was worsened than that of the Jews at the end of World War II. We don't hear about any of this because giving human beings hope and purpose doesn't make great copy Squalor, victimhood, and terror are always more exciting. Perhaps in the end, the greatest crime of the Jews was that they quietly created something from nothing, and in the process, they transformed themselves. Meir is credited with having said that if Jews had not fought back against the Arab armies and had been destroyed in 1948, they would have received the most beautiful eulogies throughout the world. Instead, they chose to stand their ground and defend themselves. And in winning, they received the world's condemnation. Meir said she would take the condemnation over the eulogies. Mr. Kozak is the author of LeMay, The Life and Wars of General Curtis LeMay. All right, so this article is praising the Jews... In their ethnic struggles after World War II and you know what you're not going to find me or anyone else that I know defending the atrocities of World War II Um, they were fucking horrible and we often think that the Jews were the only ones targeted they weren't they absolutely were not They were the largest ethnicity targeted, absolutely. And because of that, the largest percent of atrocities were perpetuated upon Jews. They tout that like a badge. Don't know why. Now, I actually have no problem with Jews as a people. I actually don't even have a fucking problem with them believing in their Old Testament I don't fucking care. It it means less than nothing to me. If they want to worship the way they want to worship, live the way they want to live, um, whether they're fundamentalist or not, I don't care. Do your thing, man. And this goes for anyone out there. I'm not concerned with it. I'm not preaching hate. I don't care. What I have a problem with is when people, in this case, Israelis forget their history and start enacting those atrocities upon the people that lived in that fucking land before they were put there by the fucking world nation. Now, I am sure, I am positive that there are Palestinian terrorists, there have been atrocities perpetuated by Palestinians on the Israeli people, on the Jewish people, for thousands of years I have no doubt in my marrow that they have done some horrible things but the Israelis are continuing to do those horrible things they were put there by the world population as a solution and it has caused a problem because they continue to try to expand that territory granted them illegally through illegal settlements. They are forcing the people who once lived there happily and peacefully, you know, with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, peacefully, um, (laughs) for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, they're forcing them into the same types of camps that they suffered under. At what point do you stand back and laugh, fold your hands, wipe them clean, and say, you know what? We're not going to fucking support any of you anymore. You need to fucking... If what you need is a fight, you two need to fight it out. Get it over with. Let the victor have the spoils of that piece of fucking dirt that you guys love so much for your religious means. And just get it over with. Because we are dumping so much money into what comes out as a Berlin Wall around the Palestinian population illegal settlements by the Israelis and they do this because the world lets them because America backs them what would happen if America stopped funding pulled out and said we need to focus on our home what would happen then do you think Iran might have a stake What about the other Arab nations? Saudi Arabia? To fuck the new Iraq? I think even North Korea and China would get in the mix. What do you think would happen to this very proud people if they didn't have our support anymore? Now, of course, that will never happen. Sad to say. And... You know, I'm not condemning the Jewish people or Israelis as a group. Everyone has a right to exist and survive on their own strength and on their own merit. And you know what? I know of no other people that have suffered as much as a people as a whole as the Jewish people. I understand that. But that's not now. Now they are painfully making life as a Palestinian hell. And I, actually, to be honest, I don't really care about that either. What I do care about is that we as a fucking country, I say we as an Americans, are actually funding this. We are sending weapons and equipment over aiding Israel politically. Why don't we just let them fucking do their thing? Pull the fuck out. Stop fucking helping them. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. I don't care. Mine is fucking right. And if you come out on top, the fucking spoils to the victor. And if you don't, not my fucking problem. I just... We have wasted so much in supporting shit like this. It's gotta end. At some point, it's gotta end. So, in closing, World War II sucked. And... A lot of Jews, millions of Jews, died horribly, unfairly, and unjustly. But that does not excuse the current behavior of the Israeli nation. It does not. You never can use the past to justify the future. Whether you're Israelis, whether you're Palestinians, or whether you're fucking Americans. We are dealing with a modern existence. We have to act as adults... As responsible living adults, that's what should guide you, not history. That's my nine cents, anyway. <laughs> that's it for the infernal forest. Let's take a break. On the other side, we're gonna jump right into creature feature with Roar from Hardest, Darkest Ends, and uh, hope to see you there. See the dark. Dark art, tattoos, prints, t-shirts, stickers, and more. Log on to artonyou.com now. Finally, you can own apparel with designs of integrity that embody the ideals of those of us who embrace the darker side of nature. Art On You Studios features the creations of dark artist and tattooist Storm. Log on to art on That's artonyou.com. That's www.artonyou.com. Art On You Studios. See the dark. The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's High Priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the High Priest's writings for his infernal cabal. Some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information released by Scapegoat Publishing from major booksellers and independents nationwide. Is this saying on? All right. Is it this saying working now? You got it. All right. Uh, this year's uh, Citizens Against Decency uh, book award uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, Motel Bazaar. It's... Uh, yes, excuse me. It's, it's not just a uh, book photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trainees, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I, uh, I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, Cat Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books. <coughs> uh, it was Stephanie, where are you, darling? Come on up. What, what, what's that? I, I was... Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan magister Matt G. Paradise. Bearing the Devil's Mark. Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism. Not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians or even their pagan counterparts but straight from the satanic perspective itself. Sex, love, politics, technology, the god religions, and more. All brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living
1: the satanic philosophy. To order, log on to purgingtalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark?
0: For a blood-curdling good time? Well, Terror Transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast. Listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past. Tune in through iTunes or the show's official website, www.terrortransmission.com, where you can also find horror chat, on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast
1: ever. Have you ever felt that there was a level above being human? Do you feel as though you were better than most mortals? The answer is yes. And please explore the Temple of the Vampire. www.vampiretemple.com. The Temple of the Vampire. Are you one of us?
0: The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. Chasing the swamp water slowing her escape. The creature nears. The damsel turns. Hands rising to her sides as a last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. I'm being joined today by Roar from Hardest's Darkest Ends, another one of the fine podcasts available on the Radio Free Satan Network. Uh, Roar, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, how are you doing today?
1: Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's no problem at all. Um, I wanted to have you on so I could feature your show and, uh, you know, I've actually listened to the two that are available right now on the Radio Free Satan website and... Um, you know, before we get into your podcast, how about you just tell us a little bit about Roar? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, uh, I've been a Californian most of my life, and um, I run the quote unquote uh for California and uh, Undercroft. And um, been to the Black House when it was up about a decade or so ago, and kind of revisited the spot here and there. Which the members area has some pictures of how it is now, which has some interesting trapezoidal. Um, aspects of it in its new architecture. Mm-hmm. But um, COS member um, been to the high mass into performing arts. I posted about that recently. Um, yes, yeah, so been a uh, couple times, few times at the Black House um, with a few COS me- members. And um, as far as my own interest, it's uh, third side sorcery stuff that Magister Nemo has talked about in the members area. Uh, "Shard of the Unknown," Greater Magic and uh, stuff Diablo's Rex has done, and then just taking interest in COS members' um, projects, writings they've done, art for my own uh, podcast.
0: Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, when did you realize that you were first a Satanist? It was around,
1: I was a kid, 15 years old, uh, was really into the questioning aspect of, of life, philosophy, religion, and ran into the doctor's work, Um, this religious uh, propaganda text was um, taking a few quotes from it, and it had the impact that the doctor had wanted on me, and it it made the most sense to me at the time when I was looking for answers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was around 96 I started to take more interest in terms of the music scene uh, taking influence from, you know, the church over the decades. Um, And from there just got all of the literature I think it was The Devil's Notebook I first got, and then eventually the Bible and the other uh, works by the doctor. Then that's when I felt um, I embodied this kind of uh, mentality and uh, lifestyle.
0: Yeah. So when did you take that leap and join the Church of Satan?
1: I, I think it was early last decade, maybe '02, something like that. Um, that was around the time I found message board letters to the devil. Yeah. And uh, joining was in terms of getting more involved in um, some of the other members' uh, works and projects, taking interest in, in what the magisters were doing, and uh, seeing how you know what caught my eye and things like that.
0: Nice. Well, l- let's transition a little bit over to the podcast side of things. What influenced you to start your pro- your podcast? If it hasn't been um, made obvious by now. <laughs>
1: yeah uh, let me see. It was with um, Magister Harris's own program years ago, mm. and that was uh, a first of its kind, as far as I know at the time. and I really loved the audio interactions he had done with many members and people of the hierarchy, and just that these people were not just you know words from books or the computer and to kind of hear their breath and, and what um, what their passions were, um, kind of inspired me to uh, start my own thing after he stopped doing his show. And um, around that time when I was putting my own program together, uh, Magister Paradise Paradise was putting together also um, Terra Transmission as well as Reverend Chris X with uh, Underworld Amusement. So... It was kind of a nice synchronicity where around that time these few podcasts had started around the same time. It was uh, some summer, I forget how many years ago. But, um, yeah, it was just taking what he had done and making it my own, not uh, just Harris.
0: Nice. You're referring to Satanism Today, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, so um, so Satanism Today was uh, not only interviews, which were really fantastic, but also sort of... Um, uh, tidbits of news and and just you know media stories and stuff. So do you is your show primarily just interviews or do you also dabble in that as well?
1: It's mostly an interview format, but here and there within the questions, I have my own little things. Like I would have kind of a, a basic format of questions to ask somebody, but then along the way of how they answer something, more questions would come up, or I would put in my own opinion of something. But more or less, it's the feature people's work um, to get it out there.
0: Nice. Hardest, Darkest Ends, how did you come uh, to that name? How did you come to land on that name?
1: I figured that um, in terms of stratification, distillation, when people put something out there to membership or the public in terms of their own work, it's pretty much their heart that they're putting out, making themselves vulnerable. Uh, and presenting the best of themselves to um, people who'd want to take a look at that. and so taking that idea and I figure that that's the darkest aspect of them, their most creative and passionate um, side of them, their creation that you know they wanted to share to the world. Um, that's how the title kind of came together.
0: Nice. So after you um, started this podcast, did you immediately? Um start it with Radio Free Satan in mind, or uh, did you uh, start it before that and then later just sort of uh, bring it to the network?
1: I had brought it to the network. They've been around for a little bit, a little while, and another COS member, she had made the recommendation that, oh, Tiberia has this thing going on, maybe you could get under them and they can help you out with your idea. And I didn't expect it to take off as fast as it did and to even think that it would continue this long um... but it's fun even though if nobody would listen to it, i didn't care it was just to kind of um... it helps me learn about other people's work and take interest further and and um, yeah.
0: Oh yeah I, I, I totally agree that's who, who really fucking cares like uh, mm-hmm. whether or not you have a, a gigantic audience as well as long as yeah. you're enjoying what you're doing and people are willing to um, collaborate with you. I think that's the most fantastic uh, part of this whole process. Absolutely. Focusing on interviews, um, can you tell me maybe... Uh, well, first, let, let's talk about the show specifically, uh, really quickly. Uh, how often do you release your show?
1: I try to do it seasonally, uh, once every couple months, um, would be average. And then sometimes I repeat shows in terms of like if I brought another guest over and um, seeing how the current page only keeps two yeah. shows per um, you know per season or however that works. Um, yeah, just around the usual so- uh, solstice and equinox and then, you know or Purgus, Halloween things like that. But depending, I might do other features. But it's been pretty predictable in terms of um, over the years.
0: Nice. And, and how do you decide who you want to interview? Do you have a long list of people, or you, is it sort of just in that season when you decide?
1: The list is pretty short, um, because I like to keep up on, on the letters to the devil message board, what people are up to, yeah. what catches my interest. And if, if um, it picks my curiosity, then that, I, mean, I, I would choose to talk to them and see if they're, um, they're open to promoting their work that way. Uh, I usually like to talk to people who um, are new and they have something new to bring up. Uh, whether they're a member or not, um, like in the public, if they're posting upstairs in letters, that's fine too. As long as it just has that fire that gets me, that's more than enough to like uh, feature them.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you have anyone that you would consider your white whale that you haven't yet been able to interview that you would just, you know, would be the greatest for you?
1: Um, hmm. Not really, because I have, for the most part, I haven't looked at people's work enough to, um, you know, have somebody like that. So, not at the moment, I haven't done enough of research. I have a few people in mind for this year but that can always change depending on who comes out with what. So, right. Yeah, and um, it's usually me approaching the person as opposed to the other way around. So people just do what they do, and I kind of message them if I'm interested in exploring it further. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And
0: um, can you ballpark how long you've been doing your show, how many episodes you have out there? I know the Radio for State Network only features two at a time, but...
1: I would say a little less than a dozen, so, two, three years, something like that, I guess it's been out. Um, in, in the letters message board, I kind of put who I've talked to, um, but I didn't put the year and kind of the month that it happened. I have it in my hard, um, hard drive, all of that info. Yeah. But that's kind okay. of a rough sketch.
0: How would you like your show to evolve in the future? Are you, are you happy with um, the way you're running it now, or would you like to see it um, turn into anything bigger maybe or, or, or more frequent?
1: To me, the way it got big was when it was announced on um, the COS official news page. That, to me, was the biggest it could ever get. Yeah. As far as it changing, um, I mean, the questions are pretty standard for every person. Pretty much how the doctor had laid out uh, the cornerstones of of how we define COS. I suppose I'd like to eventually interview one of the magisters or of the priesthood. That would be nice. But, I mean, I've, I've been featured a few times or mentioned a few times on the official COS news page. So that was always huge uh, compliment to, um, you know, what I've been doing, which is just really simple, stripped-down discussion. No, so just kind of pretty much doing the same thing. The questions have been pretty much the same for each person. Uh, and then how I would kind of like to change that is being a little bit more organic, free-flowing of as people make their answers to, you know, the things I ask them, that it could take it to a different direction that would reveal themselves that they didn't even see of themselves. So something like that.
0: Very cool. Uh, Are are there any other avenues, um, because we would mentioned a couple times that Radio Free Satan only holds two episodes at a time, are there any other places that people can find your other interviews, your past interviews?
1: I've had some requests, and um, I would just usually send it to people who would ask. Just because I don't really get that many requests, and it's not that much of a bother. The fact that someone would message me and take interest it means a lot. So I would just send it to them. And and um, the email is listed in, in the uh, RFS uh, page. So
0: yeah, yeah. that was going to be the next uh, follow up. There is, is how can people contact you about your show. But yeah, it's,
1: um, sorry, uh, hextext at yahoo.com. And the exact spelling of that is in my RFS page where it has the programs.
0: Uh, w- would you ever be willing to take recommendations on, on who to, you know, if, if your audience wanted you to uh, interview a specific person, would you ever be open to that? Yeah, um,
1: people have have made recommendations, some um, people from the hierarchy, and was definitely open to it. I just haven't explored um, these people's work, although I should, and um, yeah, but uh, your own um, podcast has been very inspiring to me, and I feel I can learn a lot from you, because you do it weekly, and
0: well, I, I appreciate it, but I think you might be giving me a little more credit than than is do, I, I pretty much I just throw this shit together and hope it sticks, you know,
1: <laughs> no, it's great, I mean, you have a good voice. And um, every week you've got something fresh that new people take interest in. And, um, yeah, in a lot of ways I think you're leading the way. And uh, it will help me improve how I do things and, and present them. So thank well, you. Thank you very much. Of course.
0: Well, again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, for the audience out there listening, if, if you haven't, because it is on a, um, a, a seasonal or quarterly basis release. If you haven't heard um, Hardest's Darkest Ends as of yet, it's 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 a really personal, um, a, a really powerful and in-depth interviewing um, podcast. Uh, you know, the shit I touch on is really sort of surface, and uh, you know, I'm just sort of um, introducing people or, or playfully talking about things. Uh, Roar really really delves into what makes a person define themselves with Satanism. And it's, you know, if, if you decided to take an interview um, that I ever do, and you pump it full of steroids and take it into your private uh, decompression chamber, that's what his show is like. It's, it's very powerful and personal. And I, I highly recommend the two episodes that are up there, you check them out, because they are absolutely worth it, and I am looking greatly forward to, to uh, the coming episodes that you have planned. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me, Roar. I I wish you the best of luck and everything.
1: Wow, thank you. That's very kind. (laughs) One of my kind of fears was that you would interview people that I had wanted to. That kind of already happened, but I think, like what you were saying, I like to do the the behind-the-scenes, deleted-scenes kind of approach with people, and I would love to see you do that, too. So, if anything, like if you had interviewed somebody that I wanted to, um, I could take that and kind of Give it my own um, flavor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really just dust on the t- surface. So there's a lot, you know, a lot more behind it that you can really delve into. Um, well, that's fantastic, man. I, I hope to talk to you again in the future. Um, and uh, until then, Hail Satan.
1: Thank you, sir. Have a good evening.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the bazaar of the bazaar. We live in a world of instant, immediate gratification, where you can talk to anyone about anything with a punch of a key on your keyboard. You go to whatever social networking outlet that you like, even if you're just kicking it old school with regular email, or hell, AOL Instant Messenger, and you see a reply that you Absolutely, passionately have something to say about. So you immediately start typing out this long diatribe, talking the whole time you're typing, expressing yourself to yourself and to your keyboard and to your monitor the entire time you wrap up your thought with a nice, neat bow. Beautifully, you know you could never, ever recreate the Wonderful message that you just made. The poignant perspective that you could produce. You hit enter, and nothing happens. You look down at the keyboard and, well, it looks like a fucking keyboard. And then you see your mouse is hovered somewhere to the left or right of the field you never actually clicked on. So you were never typing the message to begin with. This has happened to me more times than I can fucking say. (laughs) Like, I literally go through these long explanations and replies and ideas and thoughts and type it out like a fucking madman, hit enter, and fucking lose it all. And then you're at the point where you've already expressed yourself. (laughs) Even though no one out there heard it saw it, experienced it, you have literally put it out there already into your immediate environment. And you just don't feel like doing it again. But you have to, because otherwise, you're just sitting there masturbating. Which, hey, I'm a fan of. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes you just have to let other people see it. (laughs) Maybe not the masturbating part. But the perspective part, in a way, that's what this whole show is for me. This is my mental masturbation, and you're all listening to it. I am literally masturbating into your ear. <laughs> that's actually a pretty vulgar and disgusting thought, uh, but in, in a way, it's exactly what I'm doing. So, <laughs> with just with this typing thing, um, you know, it, this happens so much to me, and it it's so aggravating that you would think I would learn to make sure I see a blinking cursor in the text field that I'm trying to fill in and so whenever I retype the message it's never as it's never as poignant it's never as powerful as it's never as uh, passionate as when I initially typed it I always feel like I'm sort of repeating myself even though no one heard it the first time so half the time I don't reply <laughs> at all. <laughs> Which it's rather absurd, but it's just something that I fucking do. And I have a feeling that some of you out there have done it too. So that was sort of the note today in today's Bizarre the Bizarre. Just is it even important that we reply at all? If when we do reply and it doesn't get sent we still feel good about it I don't know but I do know one thing that's it for another show I hope you enjoyed it (laughs) I would love to hear from you visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com let me know of any suggestions critiques or general comments you might have you can visit the Undercroft, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And don't forget to leave me a rating or a comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit Undercroft at Satannet. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan.